following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Hello and welcome to The Leftovers. It is Wednesday, February 6th. I'm Josh Dunn. I'm joined, as always, by Anshu Khanna and Dan Bauer. Dan, you predicted the Super Bowl correctly, so I have to wish you congratulations before you pat yourself on the back. <laughs> you know, I was about to say thank you for the compliment, but I, I should have known the backhand was coming uh, on that one, so, <laughs> so to speak. Hey, you did it, my friend. Aren't you? Uh, we both got it wrong. Um, I'm, I'm happy to get this Super Bowl wrong. It was one of the worst, and we're going to get down and dirty with it, but uh, how are you otherwise? I'm um, doing well, yes. The state of this union is very strong. I like what I hear. Very strong. So let's let's talk about it. Uh, the, the Super Bowl ends, you know, thirteen to three Patriots. It was an offensive explosion. Uh, I think it was the over was uh, fifty six. I believe it was in this game, and uh, it was forty points less than that. So if you bet the over, thoughts and prayers. But we'll start with you, aren't you? I, you know, first of all, we talked about the fact that Jared Goff's play in this game would really. You know, be the difference whether or not he could be the Jared Goff that we've seen at times during the season, uh, where he's been able to put up points, get the ball in a lot of different people's hands, uh, and he just didn't do that. Was not able to to do it in this game, and they re- really just couldn't sustain any positive drives. Uh, Todd Gurley was very quiet, as was C.J. Anderson. They just couldn't get the offense going. The defense played great, but what happened to this Rams offense in this game? Oh, well, uh, one thing that we both thought would happen was Sean McVay would prove to be the right foil for Bill Belichick, and a lot of that for me personally was the idea that they could get to the line with more than 15 seconds left, and McVay could kind of analyze that Belichick defense. But Belichick really neutralized that. Belichick and Flores, who's now headed to Miami as the head coach there, um, you know, they they came with two different calls every play, kind of like an offense would with uh, the hot reads. And they essentially neutralized McVay's ability to, you know, analyze the defense. And, you know, it just goes to show that Jared Goff can't do this on his own. And, um, you know, he wasn't able to take advantage 19 to 38, 229 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. And it felt like he was even worse than that, honestly. I mean, he they did miss some, some big plays. Cooks drops a pass or two there. Um, Josh Reynolds, they missed Josh Reynolds on a touchdown. But, it, you know, ultimately – three points is just never going to cut it. And we saw plenty of teams hang more points than that on the Patriots over the course of this year. So uh, just a really a tough performance. McVay said after he got out coached, I think that was exactly what happened. Yeah, he definitely did. Obviously the, the costly interception down the stretch from Goff um, by Stephen Gilmore, who arguably, or I guess Stephon Gilmore, who arguably should have been the MVP in this game. But Dan, I mean, w- what was it about what Bill Belichick was able to do with his defensive calls in this game? And, 
you know, just, just keeping that, that offense at bay for L.A. I know, Ansh, you mentioned there were a couple of big plays that were missed. Cooks had that, that end zone grab that he just out of his reach uh, kind of tips off of his hands, and there were a couple others. But, you know, wh- why was it that, that they just couldn't get things going? What was it about what New England did uh, that would allow them to hold the Rams to three points? Well, Anju mentioned it. It, it was uh, coming up with a couple calls and then waiting till the very last second. Uh, they mentioned it on the broadcast over and over again. Those The, the microphones cut out. Um, can't talk to Jared Goff with those last couple seconds, and uh, they were able to just stifle him. I mean, Jared Goff looked lost. I, I mean, any time that they put the camera on him, he looked confused. He looked like he was baffled. He looked like he just was ready to throw his arms up in the air and say, I have no idea what's going on or what to do here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, credit to, to Bill Belichick. You can't give the guy two weeks uh, and, and just let him scheme, especially against a, you know, I, I know McVay's the wonder boy, but uh, still on some level a very young, inexperienced uh, NFL head coach against a whole lot of experience for Bill Belichick. Uh, and in the NFL, maybe more so than, than even the other major sports, uh, that experience, that ability uh, to know exactly what to do and when over Super Bowl week and, and how to scheme it, just, uh, you know, you saw just how important that was uh, on Sunday. Are you surprised at all by the success that New England was able to have running the football? We talked a lot about the defensive front for the Rams coming into this game. I mean, Michelle had that big uh, 26-yarder. Burke had a big 26-yard run in this one as well. And when they needed to ice the game, they did a great job of that. But passing the ball, it was a lot of dink and dunk. They, You know, Edelman had a lot of these you know, short uh, uh, over-the-middle routes that, that, you know, he took for 20, 20 yards or so. But there was not really a big play that stood out in this game. Um, a lot of, you know, pounding the football and getting the ball out in space to, to you know, Gronk and Edelman. Yeah, this was some AFC North style uh, we're used to seeing <laughs> on a lot of this stuff. Uh, but that Ram secondary is a, is a threat. And they said, all right, cool. Um, we know that that's a strength. We know. Uh, that their pass rush is a strength, and they neutralize it. Again, this just goes back to Bill Belichick being better at this than just about anybody. Uh, they, uh, you know, pun intended, uh, ran away from the strengths of, of that Rams defense uh, and threw away from the strength of that Rams defense uh, and just picked apart the middle of the field, the run game. Um, and just shout out to the Patriots for uh, being able to just, again, just out-scheme the Rams. All right, Anshu, let's speculate a little bit here. Let's talk future. The Rams are, are, excuse me, the Patriots have already opened up as the favorite for next year to win it again. Uh, Do you think that this era finally is able to come to an end? Obviously, it's way too early to think about these things, but it's kind of fun to speculate. Bill Belichick will be back. Tom Brady looks like he's excited to continue playing after this year. Do you think that that at some point they're going to get to a point where, I mean, it's got to happen eventually, right? Everything is inevitable with with sports, but it it just doesn't seem like they're slowing down and they're able to just absolutely stifle this this Rams team in the playoffs here or in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the way that this Patriots team was constituted, uh, you know, you kind of pointed at it your last question, but, you know, they've they've got staying power. I mean, they've 42... (laughs) Tom Brady's going to be 42 at the beginning of next year. Um, You know, it's, yes, you know, father time doesn't lose to anybody, but it's the reality is that Bill Belichick is still so far ahead of everybody else as a head coach. I mean, you saw the teams he beat on the way in here. He beat the the Phil Rivers, led Chargers. He beats Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, and then he beats Sean McVay at Boy Wonder. I mean, like Dan said, so it's, 
you know, I, I mean, you got to think that they're just going to be more talented next year. They get, uh, they do lose Trent Brown, their left tackle, but you know, and yes, they'll lose Brian Flores, but Josh McDaniels will be back to run that offense. And, you know, they'll, they'll get their first round pick from Georgia back this next year. Um, so Logan, uh, win, I think. And, and I mean, they've, they've just got so much talent that's only going to get better. Yeah. Maybe they lose Gronk, but you know, who knows who they add to this and, you know, let's not forget they had Josh Gordon halfway through this year. Who knows? Maybe he'll be back and, um, you know, who, who knows who they draft. It's just Isaiah when that's the left tackle's name, but it's, it's, you know, they've got, they're just so good at doing this and keep, and they just keep getting better. I, I would pick the field. I would pick the field even in the AFC. But again, you look at that division. I mean, Miami looks like they might just tank it already. They're talking about doing that Buffalo, you know, they still got Josh Allen and just some questions all around. And then, you know, who knows with the jets. I mean, Sam Darnold's still really young, new coach. I, I wouldn't bet on them either. So it's hard to believe that the Patriots won't be right back in this position, winning 12 or 13 games, running away with that division, and, uh, you know, probably getting a bye. And that puts them in a great spot to do this thing all over again next year. Oh, when will it end? It's just brutal seeing the same team <laughs> it doing it every single year. You know, whether they win or lose, they're always there. I mean, it's it, you have to sit back and marvel at it it's as insane. a fan of sports and a fan of greatness. But as a hater of the Patriots, it's just not fun to watch. Uh, Dan, do you agree? Mm-hmm. Do you think they get back again next year? Oh, yeah. I mean, like Auntie mentioned, that division is just absolutely trash. Uh, but I have a question for you. What would you hate to see more, uh, Tom Brady back in the Super Bowl or Baker Mayfield in it? <laughs> I think one of them's likely and the other one is extremely unlikely. Um, that is, I, answer, I, answer, answer the question. I'd rather see Brady than anybody in the division. And I, you know, We've I think, had to deal with it I, I, think just, I mean, that's like posing the question, who's a better wide receiver, Jerry Rice or Josh Gordon? I I mean, come on. We all know the answer to that. Uh, But I respect it. I respect it. I respect the fact that you're even putting him in a Super Bowl in the same sentence at this point in his career. That's good. Um, The Browns are the 12th best odds to make the Super Bowl. Wow. So that means there's only 11 teams that have better odds? That's that's how it really works, yeah. (laughs) No, people are high on the Browns. I think you have a bright future ahead of you, but I think the Super Bowl's not uh, in the near future. Maybe, uh, Maybe a few years down the road. We'll see. Um, all right, so let's let's move on from the Super Bowl. I wanted to talk about the two head coaches that are officially named. Aren't you alluded to one of them? Brian Flores, the linebackers coach from the Patriots, officially takes the head coaching job in Miami. Mentioned Super Bowl odds. Miami actually has the worst odds to win the Super Bowl next year. Uh, I got to hear what your thoughts are on the hire, aren't you? I know you alluded to it earlier. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this big of a jump from a linebackers coach to a head coach uh, in in the same division as well? Uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a reach, but I do think Brian Flores is a little bit different than some of the other, uh, you know, Patriots tree, Belichick tree guys that we've seen, including Matt Patricia. And that's because Brian Flores was in the personnel department. So I think that, you know, they, they saw something in him. I think that was pretty unique. And, you know, that perspective of being on the personnel side, in addition to the linebacker side, I think helped. And he's been in that Patriots organization for a long, long time. So, um, you know, I think that I think it's interesting. I mean, we'll see what it is. He's the only coach of all these hires, eight hires, who got five guaranteed years, which is a huge commitment. I mean, especially for a franchise led by Stephen Ross, who loves to throw money around. I mean, you know, there was a lot of talk that they wanted to make a big splash here, maybe Jim Harbaugh, maybe somebody else. But 
um, you know, they, I think they fully believe in Brian Flores. I think it's, it's a very interesting, interesting. hire, but I, I, uh, I wouldn't have necessarily made it. I, I kind of like the other one you're going to talk about more. Okay, interesting. I wanted to hear Dan's thoughts since he is in the division, and obviously he'll be uh, playing against the future, or I guess current Bengals coach. Now as Zach Taylor was officially named Tuesday, um, they, he was introduced Tuesday, officially named Monday right after the Super Bowl, so he flew from Atlanta to Cincinnati on Monday morning and was named the uh, Cincinnati Bengals head coach. The 35-year-old was the quarterback's coach for the L.A. Rams. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on Zach Taylor now officially becoming the head coach of the Bengals? You know, as a Bengals fan, I would like it. I think it's it's an interesting move. I think it's, uh, you know, you're trying to find your next uh, Sean McVay, and, and maybe you did find it in him. Uh, you know, I was been kind of adamant about uh, getting new blood in there for different teams and not just the same old retread uh, coordinators uh, taking head coaching positions. So, I mean, I like it. Uh, you know, we, you know, the last game with Jerry Goff doesn't exactly say much. Um, but it's obviously one game against one of the greatest schemers uh, the NFL has ever seen. So wouldn't put too much stock in that. Uh, you know, you potentially have to develop a new young quarterback in Cincinnati. Uh, so, you know, might as well get a guy in there with some experience in doing that. So I think it's a smart move for the Bengals. All right, Anju, you, you said you like it better than the Flores, which I'm a little I'm a little surprised by, but. Why do you like it more? What do you see in Zach Taylor, and what do you think he can do for this Bengals organization? Obviously, he has some ties to Cincinnati. He was an assistant on that staff for University of Cincinnati, uh, and he wanted to be in this city. So uh, why do you think this fits and makes sense for this organization to, to take a 35-year-old and hope to hope he brings him to the promised land? Well, I mean, you brought up about Flores. Yeah, I mean, yes, he Flores does have the background in the personnel side, but I think the most interesting thing about Taylor is despite the fact that he's so young, he's the second youngest coach only to McVay, but, you know, he has had a litany of experiences, and he's also played quarterback, which is huge. But, I mean, he's he's run offenses, not just been an offensive coordinator, but, you know, run good offenses. He's done it at several different levels. He's been around really good coaches, um, you know, he's obviously been married into Mike Sherman's family, which I love personally because I was a huge Mike Sherman fan back in the day for the Packers. But, you know, I, I think that we also saw Ryan Tannehill have some of the best years of his career uh, under uh, Zach Taylor, which shows that, you know, when you look at the variety of different quarterbacks he's had, and make no mistake, this is all about the quarterback, as Dan said, likely to you'll likely be developing a new one. Um, I just think that he's done it with so many different ones and different styles. I mean, Jared Goff and Ryan Tannehill could not be more different. And, um, you know, he's done it, obviously, again, at the college level. He's, he, I just – I'm a big fan. Uh, I think that, you know, he's very self-aware. I watched some of his press conference today and the way that he talked about how he doesn't want to be the next Sean McVay. And, you know, he understands the differences between himself and, and McVay. And I think that self-awareness is – kind of like a no BS thing that you want in your head coach. It's something that I honestly didn't see as much of in Matt LaFleur like I wanted to. You know, just acknowledging who you are and, uh, you know, having the presence to stand up there. I mean, when you've been the quarterback of Nebraska, you've dealt with high-pressure situations. You're not going to get too rattled. And um, I also really just liked his policy on, you know, the idea of doing creative stuff and wanting creative, thoughtful people with with energy. And I just – it's such a change of pace from what – uh, Cincinnati normally has, so I would be very excited if I was in your position. 
What do you guys think of the, the hire of Bill Callahan as the offensive coordinator? Obviously, working with Derek Carr the last couple of years, uh, you know, leaving the Raiders staff to, to come over to Cincinnati and take the offensive coordinator position. Jack Del Rio was rumored to become the defensive coordinator. It sounds like they didn't see eye to eye in the interview process, and they're going to go a different route. But what about Callahan? What are your thoughts there, Shu? Um, a little less excited about that, to be honest. I thought that that my opinion is that when you have those coaches, you expect to, you know, have him hire people that influence them, but I would have liked to see them go out. So just a background, Bill Callahan was his coach at Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken, um, or certainly one of his mentors, if not. And I just, I, I think it would have been better. I understand getting veterans around him, especially because he's so young. Um, but I think that it would have been good to, you know, maybe have him be the quarterback's coach and have a different offensive coordinator. I love the idea of Del Rio. If it's not him, it sounds like it might be Dom Capers, which, uh, you know, not my favorite guy, but at least it's a totally different system, which I think is good. Um, I just, I, I think that I believe in trying to get as many different styles in the same building as you can um but I'm, I'm sure that Callahan's learned a lot over the years I just I, you know you don't want yes men around you and that would be my fear uh hiring a guy like Callahan personally yeah I, I didn't love it at first glance either Dan did you have any thoughts uh no I mean I think Shu hit it pretty well on that there all right, let's move on to the NBA then. I wanted to talk about the trade deadline and these Anthony Davis rumors that have been fluttering around. Uh, you know, the, the rumor has been out there for a while that Anthony Davis, we talked about this on last, last week's show, that he wants to be traded. He demanded a trade, and he actually came out within the last week with a list of four teams that he would prefer to be traded to. I believe it was the Bucks, the Knicks, the Lakers and the Clippers, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So it it sounds like the Lakers have come out with, you know, some pretty significant and pretty compelling offers. They've offered pretty much every young player they have in two first round draft picks. Sounds like the Pelicans came back and said they wanted four first round draft picks as well as three or four second round draft picks and those young players and taking Solomon Hill's contract as well. So, you know, Dan, we'll start with you. First of all, the Lakers seem like they've backed off a little bit and they're wanting to see a counteroffer from the Pelicans to see if they're serious at all. Uh, what would you do in, your, in this situation if you're the Pelicans? Because obviously the, the, the Celtics could get involved in the offseason. They can't, as, as Anshu mentioned last week, they can't trade for him uh, without being, having Kyrie as a part of that deal until the offseason. And it sounds like the Pelicans would want a deal centered around Jason Tatum. But if they are going to make a deal with the Lakers, what is what, what is it that they want more than what's been offered at this point? I don't know. I, I mean, I, honestly, I think this is one of those things that they are trying to play both sides of this and make it look like they're agreeing to Anthony Davis's wishes and trying to trade him, even though they're not actually doing it. Uh, you know, they're just kind of making outrageous demands and, and ignoring pretty good offers uh, for whatever reason in you know in an attempt to try to make it look like they're doing it i mean it just it looks like there's there's really no uh rhyme or reason to it i mean they there was a rumor you know earlier that they want to wait to the off season thinking that they'd get an even better return for the late than what the lakers offered which doesn't really make sense because every game he plays is one day closer to him being a free agent meaning there's less value there for the team that trades for him uh, you know, teams have a tendency to overpay uh, around playoff time uh, and, you know, at the trade deadline. And, you know, at the, you know, with the ability to kind of take your time in the offseason, you don't see as many just, uh, I don't want to say outlandish, but you know, like I said, you tend to overpay a little bit during the season. And 
I just I can't imagine that you're going to get a better offer than than what the Lakers did. Again, every you know the, his value gets less and less every every day that goes by. Um, and so I I think this is just one of those things where I'm trying to make it trying to make him happy, but at the same time not trade him at the end of the day. All right, Anchu. So you're the Lakers here. Obviously, what you saw tonight is that LeBron had the worst loss of his career. They lose by 42 points in Indianapolis to the to the Pacers without Victor Oladipo. You know, there's shots of the bench. Uh, you know, with LeBron and and all the young guys sitting far away mm-hmm. on the bench. Uh, has has LeBron? I mean, not not saying LeBron is necessarily orchestrating this, but he did go to dinner with Anthony Davis just a couple. I think it was a day or two before the trade demand came out. Uh, so you know, the speculation is that this is all LeBron, and I would venture to guess, knowing what he did in Cleveland, that it is all LeBron. Oh, is he yeah. alienating himself from every other player in this organization, like he's done with? players in years past I don't know like Kyrie Irving for example yeah I I mean he could be but the reality is he is orchestrating it you kind of hesitated but he absolutely is orchestrating this whole thing I mean his agent is Rich Paul it's like his best friend and you know Rich Paul is obviously with clutch sports that they represent Anthony Davis like it's no secret that Anthony Davis wants to go there and you know, my hunch is with those four teams that you mentioned, I mean, two of them literally can't, literally could not possibly offer enough for, for the Pelicans to agree to. I mean, the the Bucks just do not have enough for him, like short of dealing Giannis. Even if they include Chris Middleton, he's going to be a free agent after this year. There's just no way they could do it. And the Clippers, you know, they've got some interesting pieces. You know, Shai Gilgis-Alexander is pretty good, but even if they were to include like Tobias Harris, he's going to be a free agent after this year. And they don't have first rounders, I believe next year. So it's like, you know, there's just no way for those guys. It just seems like it's doing lip service to the idea that Anthony Davis doesn't want to only go to the Lakers, but everyone knows that it's not even, even a remotely a secret. So, um, you know, LeBron's orchestrating this whole thing. He knows that these guys are not long for his team. And the reality is whoever is left behind, assuming they don't trade every single one of those guys, which by the way, I don't even know how that's possible. Like how can they possibly do the trade of all those young players for just like cap filler? It doesn't even make sense roster construction wise, but they'd absolutely um, have to let people go. I, I mean, they, the Pelicans would have to literally bail on people, right? Like, I yeah. don't even – they just have to give up the three worst players because the, the deal I saw was Kuzma, Ball, Ingram, Zubak. Um, Rondo. Uh, was it Rondo? Rondo, too, yeah, and, and Beasley. Josh Hart. And Hart. I, I saw Hart, too, and two first. I mean, I just don't even know, like, how that worked. Essentially so, for, uh, for uh, Anthony Davis and Solomon Hill. And Solomon Hill, and I mean, then so then what though? The the Pelicans just bench guys, and all right, so let's just call it what it is though. Like the Pelicans can just wait on sit on this offer. That deal is going to be there in the off season, especially if the Celtics offer Tatum. You don't think the Lakers will step up and say, "Listen, whatever you want, we'll do it," because we cannot have Anthony Davis not land here, right? Because like. I don't understand what their end game is going to be long term. It's just going to end up being this group. I don't know who else they signed. Maybe Kyrie, but if not, I think they're just totally shit out of luck. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if this deal doesn't go through, the Lakers have said it's now or never. But that's such a that, that's nonsense. That's such BS. Yeah, I I think yeah. that I think that if the Pelicans want this deal to get done, it'll get done by Thursday. I I just don't know mm. that they're going to get a return that's better in the off season, unless they think Jason Tatum is a superstar a year or a year or two away. And he's going to be their long-term future. I, 
And if that's the case, then sure, I, I like what they're doing trolling the Lakers. I think it's great. But <laughs> I love it. I if love that, it. if that's the case, if that's not the case, and they're just trolling the Lakers because they won't, they refuse to trade him to the Lakers. That's stupid for the future of your franchise. You might as well go out there and obtain some assets that you could maybe flip this off season while they, you know, at least are interesting enough to keep fans interested this year. And then, you know, try to work on your roster going forward after this season ends. Because if Boston, if, if Boston comes out and, and, you know, they, they use the leverage that they have with Tatum and try to construct a deal that, that maybe doesn't have him involved or maybe that doesn't have the perceived value that this Lakers deal does currently propose, then you could walk out of this with essentially nothing. I mean, you're going to get something for Anthony Davis regardless of if, if it's now or if it's in the offseason. And there are people that will argue that this Lakers deal, it's not going to get better than that. And there's people that will argue that there will be more suitors, therefore more competition, therefore a better mm-hmm. deal in the offseason. But regardless, as, as, as the GM of the Pelicans, you've got to kind of think about all of that because if you keep him for the rest of this year – you kind of have to play him, right? I mean, you're not going to sit him the rest know. of this season, and he's already, he's already been a healthy scratch for the last two or three games. Yeah, well, they're definitely not going to play him before the deadline, um, but they and for good reason because God forbid he gets hurt. But you know, they could also tank. Let's not let's not forget where we're at. This is the NBA. This is like Anthony Davis is not a part of their long term future. You play him a couple games here and there, make sure that everyone knows that he's not dead or not, you know unhealthy get him out there, make sure he's healthy, and then get him out of the game, right? Like a limited minute load is what I've seen. I mean, I, I think it's a fascinating spot. What Do you think that they would potentially get a better offer than what the Lakers are saying? Because, like, say say the Knicks get the number one pick and or, like, you know, some other – one of these other teams jumps up and gets the one and they're willing to trade something around Zion Williamson and a young player for, you know, for Anthony Davis. Does that become more interesting? They've said that they want – a first, second, or third team All NBA type player, which Tatum certainly fits the bill of long term. I mean, it, does that, or maybe Zion fits that bill too? Is that enough? Is that more than what you know an Ingram Ball based package is worth? I mean, I, I don't think so. Just because, I, well, it would have to be a trade that would be made after that after Zion is is already on the roster, right? Because right now, as it stands, the Knicks have the worst record in the league, but they only have I think it's like a fourteen percent chance of getting the number one pick. Yeah, um, it'd be after the lottery, but yeah. before the draft, you could do that. I mean, that's when you can tra- open it up and trade. So it'd basically be for Zion, though. Yeah, and I don't. I just don't know if the Knicks are going to be in that position to, to do that. I think the Knicks are going to go all in on Durant and, and Irving in the offseason, and if they don't get yeah. Durant, they're going to go all in on Butler and Irving in the offseason. And I, I, you know, do, can you bring in that three-headed monster? And I, I think they want to create – the, you know, I think they want to create a big three with Zion for their future. And then you have Kevin Knox there as well. I mean, that that gets pretty interesting. So I don't know. I, I, it, that's why I think that if, if you are the Pelicans and you basically have all the chips on the table right now that you could push one way or the other, you you go out and you make the counteroffer to L.A. And if you if you want to completely make an outrageous offer, why not just do it and see if they bite? And if they don't bite, you have nothing – essentially to lose because you feel like you have Tatum potentially on the back burner in the off season, but there's just no guarantees of that. So you run a lot of, there's just so much risk in this. However, it's going to play out if you're new Orleans. That's why for me, I feel like, you know, everybody's talking about what, what the Lakers are willing to offer. And, you know, the fact that these are, these are the, the cornerstones of what they've built for their future. And you can, as the Pelicans go out and say, all right, this is a guy who wants to leave the organization, uh, you know, and get as many assets as you possibly can for him. I think that's a hard thing to turn down if you're, if you're Demps in this situation. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I just, I think there's something to be said about 
not taking the deal right now. You know, Pop, his boys with Dumps, he basically told him not to take it. And I, I think that it's interesting. And again, I think that same deal is going to be there this off season. So it's not like, you know, it's a bird in the hand that you're going to lose later on. It's going to, it's just a bird in the hand that you have right now, but you might be able to keep that later on. Um, or you could have the option of like creating a bidding war. I, I think it's fascinating for what it's worth. And I, I this is one of the most unique situations I've ever seen in sports, like where they're where they've been pushed into this corner, but they're pushing back on Davis, which I, I like them taking back some of the power away from the player in this scenario. Agreed. Uh, real quick, let's let's just kind of talk because it is the trade deadline. There have been some other guys rumored to be on the move. Obviously, we saw the big Chris Stapps, Porzingis for Dennis Smith Jr. and some other pieces trade uh, last week. But there have been some guys rumored to be on the move. It sounds like the Hornets are targeting Marcus Gasol uh, in strong talks to acquire the Grizzlies' big man. Uh, we've got the Raptors involved in that Marcus Gasol sweepstakes as well. There have been talks about uh, Kyle Lowry and Jonas Valanciunas for Mike Conley and and Marcus Saul, uh, Dan. I mean, are, are there anybody in the whether it's these guys or some other people that have been rumored to be on the move that you would like to see potentially go to a contender as the season trade deadline comes to a close here on Thursday? I mean, I think you go with the first guy you mentioned in Gasol. Um, I mean, he's been wanting to get a chance to play for a contender for a while, and so uh, finally getting his chance to get out of Memphis. And I mean, I think that's your your number one uh, you know, opportunity to see somebody finally get a shot. Do you think if he moves, Mike Conley does as well? Do you think they go full tank mode? I don't know why you would. I mean, there's uh, you have to just go full tank. Um, but this is a team that just seems to never be able to figure it out uh, when they do go full tank. I mean, this, is, this would kind of be you know, the second, second time or so in the last uh, handful of years that they've, they've attempted it and just can't really find a way to, to finally get over the hump. So, um, I mean, logically you go full tank, but you, you got to get somebody in there who can figure out how to, to do the tank and come out on the other end of it. Aren't you, is there a guy that we didn't mention that you see that could potentially be on the move and could help a contender kind of make a push? Ooh, man, that's tough. I, I was going to say Conley or Gasol as well, but you know, there's there, I mean, there are, plenty of guys out there that might be out there with auto Porter. We heard John Walt blows out his Achilles today. They're inching closer to just fully tanking and throwing away everything. So that, that's a name that I would look at. I mean, Nick, Nico Miritich, depending on what the Pelicans decide to do, could be a guy that we look at. I mean, Drew holiday, I think it's too soon to trade him, but I definitely think Miritich is a guy to, to watch as far as potential trade. I know you're a Dwayne Dedman guy. I think Dedman's kind of an interesting name also out there. So, uh, those are the ones that I would be looking at, but you know, probably those Grizzlies too, the two Grizzlies guys. Yeah. Contavious Caldwell Pope has been rumored to be on the trade block. Obviously what happens with Anthony Davis could potentially have an impact on that. Tobias Harris was rumored to potentially be on the move from the Clippers, but they said they don't want to move him. Uh, so the rumor, Jabari, mill, Jabari was rumored actually to potentially be yeah. traded to the Lakers. I heard. So there, there's definitely some names out there to keep an eye on, but you know, I don't think anything can compare to what we saw last year unless we do see that Anthony Davis trade. The Porzingis trade was definitely a blockbuster, but unless wow. we see a big name on the move, it's you know, it's it's uh, it's going to be a quiet trade deadline, I think, and uh, maybe not a lot going on there. There may be some buyouts. Keep an eye on Ennis Cantor, whether or not he gets moved or whether or not he gets a buyout. Uh, there's been some frustration there. He's had six 
uh, did not play because of a coach's decision in the last nine games. Nice. Uh, so there's there's a lot to keep an eye on. The trade deadline's close. We're almost to the all-star break, and football is over. So we'll have a lot of basketball on the show. Uh, but uh, we are running a little long, so let's get to Oh By The Ways. There's so much to pick from here. Uh, Dan, what do you got? So uh, we haven't really talked a lot of hockey this year. Austin Matthews signs a big extension in Toronto uh, to stay there, and that was one of those that, uh, you know, the hockey world had been wondering for a while whether he was going to stick around uh, when his contract was up or whether he was going to make a move. Uh, so good for Toronto to keep that major piece in place uh, and that team just continuing to build. Uh, we saw him make a, a little bit of a playoff run last year and interested to see what they can do going forward if they can keep uh, these major pieces in place. I like it. Blackhawks trying to get back to their championship form, uh, but it's not working out. But, yeah, Austin Matthews has been a a name in hockey to keep an eye on. Mine is going to be about my fighting Illini. They've been having such a bad year this year. They end up knocking off the Michigan State Spartans at home. Uh, they storm the court after the game, knock off the number nine team in the country. So it's just nice to see they beat Maryland earlier in the year. It's nice to see them rattle off a couple wins uh, after having just such a terrible season so far this year. Uh, Anshu, why don't you take us home, my friend? All right. Yes. <laughs> good for the Illini. Good for the Badgers that the Illini pulled that off, by the way. So <laughs> nice work. All for you, my uh, friend. <laughs> Our boy, Michael Kopech, today threw for the first time since he had his Tommy John surgery. Uh, not expected to pitch at all this season, but very, very, very good news to hear that. I didn't think he'd be already be throwing. Um, the fact that the 22-year-old's already on the mound again, at least passing the ball around is uh, huge news. And, uh, you know, in 2020, he guaranteed a White Sox World Series, so pretty hyped about that. We'll Hopefully we'll have uh, a free agent from this year's class on that team, but God only knows, maybe he, hopefully he'll sign by 2020. Maybe uh, Manny Machado will sign somewhere by 2020 as well. Yeah. <laughs> or is that who you were talking about? Yeah, that's who I was talking about. But <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll Bryce Harper then. Too, yeah, way. that'll work. <laughs> All right, Either boys. One. Well, we made it through it. Uh, this has been The Leftovers. For Anchu Khanna and Dan Bauer, I'm Josh Dunn.